Hey there, and welcome to the Leap Podcast. Striving to meet the greatest challenges facing humanity, Leap is a global tech event and a platform for unearthing the minds of some of the most influential people on the planet. Join our conversations as we explore the pivotal role technology has in reshaping our world. Welcome to another edition of the Leap In Podcast series. I'm Richard Spur. Today's focus is on hydrogen in Asia, and more specifically, the role of hydrogen in Asia-Pacific's energy mix. Well, we're delighted to be joined by Wei Leong, Senior Executive Director of Energy SG Group. Wei Long is the Senior Executive Director of Energy at SG and a member of SG Group's Global Sustainability Council. He's performed roles involving strategy advisory, project delivery leadership, technical consultancy and R&D development for power and energy infrastructure and technologies, renewables, energy storage systems, hydrogen, ammonia, low-carbon alternatives and CCUS-related projects across the Asia-Pacific, Middle East and Latin America. Well, Asia has recently witnessed a series of developments that highlight the strategic push by oil producers globally to have an early mover advantage in the hydrogen sector here. Today's podcast will explore the trends, challenges and solutions in hydrogen as an energy carrier in the Asia-Pacific region. We, you are very welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Why is hydrogen such a hot topic? Now, one of the main reasons is basically some nations in the Asia-Pacific regions are renewable challenged, meaning that uh, they have uh, insufficient renewables to support the energy transitions uh, that they are after. They are sourcing for clean fuel sources, and uh, one of them uh, ultimately is looking at uh, hydrogen or its uh, uh, carriers as well. In doing that, what they are after is basically looking at uh, converting uh, natural gas feed uh, CCGTs into using hydrogen as another cleaner fuel source. Using hydrogen will then allow them to basically fully decarbonize their power plants uh, and make the electrons and the grid entirely green. The other part of it is looking on the supply side. On the supply side, Essentially, there are also a lot of countries that are full and abundance of renewables. Uh, example, Australia, which has a very good irradiance, solar irradiance specifically, and uh, they can produce in excess of what they need from a solar energy. And with that excess, they are able to then produce hydrogen molecules for export. And then this will then spur the supply and demand side for hydrogen in the Asia-Pacific region. And these are some of the primary reasons that uh, has made hydrogen such a hot topic in Asia-Pacific. And can you talk more about successful examples of cross-sector partnerships fostering hydrogen innovation? Definitely. There are many cross-sector partnerships that's ongoing at the moment. Uh, One is, of course, in the power sector. So in the power sector, which primarily has been very much dependent on uh, uh, coal as well as natural gas as its fit, are now moving towards looking at hydrogen as another potential feed. So you can see uh, a pollination of collaborations going on whereby um, uh, natural gas suppliers are looking at how to blend uh, hydrogens with uh, natural gas so that uh, we can slowly transit towards 100% uh, hydrogen. There are also data centers in the ICT sectors that are also after cleaner solutions because they are on a journey towards greening data centers. 
as you know, data centers are, are huge guzzlers of uh, power. Hence, to green them, they need to look for alternative sources, low carbon sources especially, and hence hydrogen is one of the uh, possible solutions. And nearer to uh, Sabana Jurong Group, the SJ Group, we actually has uh, been participating in a cross-sectorial partnership uh, platform, which is called the Low Carbon Technology uh, Industry Group. So this group comprises of energy companies, uh, concrete players, data center players, uh, gas players, as well as a multi-fit uh, type of uh, companies that are coming together, including ourselves as an engineering consultancy, coming together to solutionize possibilities for low carbon alternatives and technologies. And this has really helped push the boundaries towards finding new solutions, new ideas, and pollinated also new uh, innovations where we collaborate to look for uh, carbon capture solutions for their respective industries, as well as looking at hydrogen as a solution to solving some of the challenges they are facing towards a clean energy fuel source, uh, whereby they are unable to look for ready, mature solutions. So we come together and then we research together. So these are some of the cross-sector partnerships that has been fostered to help push hydrogen innovation in this region. And we, what challenges, you mentioned them, does the APAC region face in scaling up hydrogen projects? And what solutions are being explored to overcome these challenges? There are quite a number of challenges in trying to push for hydrogen uh, uh, utilisation in the region. Uh, let me start by looking at hydrogen infrastructure itself. I think the hydrogen infrastructure uh, relates to the whole ecosystem and the whole supply chain from production of uh, hydrogen and uh, specifically we are talking about green hydrogen and maybe also blue hydrogen. That in itself uh, is already a challenge how to produce it at a cost economical um, manner using renewable uh, abundance that I mentioned earlier. Two is a source of water as well, looking at wherever uh, water is available, renewable uh, in excess, we combine them, go through electrolysis and produce green hydrogen molecules. That's one challenge. Two, looking at uh, the logistics to move this molecule from point to point within the region. So there are already um, uh, various players in the market looking at different type of uh, energy carrier technologies, be it MCH, LOHC, or even in uh, LH2 forms. But then uh, these are still at the uh, early pilot stages. Uh, and there's no um, uh, very solid, mature uh, ecosystem and value chain put in place. Thirdly, then you look at the final destination whereby you need to bring the molecules to. The end destinations infrastructure are also not ready. Most nations here have not invested in it yet. A lot are still at the stage of uh, evaluating the viability of, uh, of bringing hydrogen. And last but not least is then the end use of it. So the end use are also quite a variety. You can look at the power sectors. So gas turbines needs to be ready to accept higher blends of hydrogen first. And that we don't foresee to happen with 100% blend by 2030. So it's more beyond that that we will see this happening. Or in the transport sector, uh, hydrogen trucks, hydrogen vehicles, are they ready to be adopted into a country? Again, this relate then back to policies as well as uh, local acceptability and the uh, infrastructure necessary for filling and so forth. 
So there are quite a number of challenges when we look into the hydrogen infrastructure. Secondly, then is technology readiness. So you need to put into new technologies, as I mentioned, and use applications require new technologies to be placed in the various sectors. So much R&D and money needs to be invested to do that. And would you say that there was a balance of supply and demand in the APAC region? Um, it is very difficult to assess at this point in time. There are nations that uh, are locations and uh, developers that put up their hands early. There, are, there may be new ones that are undiscovered. So it, it is unlikely at this point in time based on the current interests and reports that, uh, that we understand. However, uh, that being said, uh, we do know those that have already put up their hands on uh, wanting to import uh, the molecules and those that have expressed a high interest in wanting to produce them. However, there are also uh, countries beyond the APEC regions that could potentially fill gaps if they are identified. Example, in the Middle East, uh, where there are also abundance of uh, uh, solar, uh, wind, uh, resource that will enable the production of green hydrogen molecules or even ammonia. So there is also another supply side uh, potential from the Middle East that could fill the gap if there is any in, uh, in the Asia-Pacific region. With all the noise, all the discussion and, and aspiration on hydrogen being the fuel of the future, is it all hype, do you think, or really quite perhaps a tangible hope for the future? Uh, I would uh, definitely, Richard, I will yield on the bright side of it. I will look at it from uh, hope for the future. It's a clean fuel, definitely. There are challenges present. As I mentioned earlier, technology readiness and, and applications specifically. There's also a need for a lot of uh, government policy support to enable the adoption or the mass adoption of uh, hydrogen as a clean fuel in the ecosystem, be it in power, in transport, and so on. There is also a need for supply chain ecosystem to be ready to support the production, the transport, the handling, the storage, as well as the end usage of the hydrogen molecules. So all this all needs to be put in place. The technology and the theoretical part of it is clear. We know that uh, this is definitely clean. However, we just need to navigate through and uh, I believe uh, we have the technology, the, the will, as well as the necessity of the ecosystems to pull all this together and make hydrogen the fuel of the future. And can I ask you specifically something which is being talked about a lot at the moment, um, and that is hydrogen-powered vehicles, particularly uh, hydrogen-powered cars. Uh, some people argue that it's in a sense a false economy because energy, electricity is needed in the first place to isolate that hydrogen. What would you say about the relative efficiency of, of hydrogen-powered vehicles? It needs to be looked at the context. I like to put it this way. If you are in a locations and in a context whereby you have abundance of renewable energy and it's already up into the grid, EVs, electric vehicles, electric trucks will make sense for you. Don't convert it further. Because the moment you have to turn electricity and then convert it into another process to produce hydrogen, you are basically reducing the efficiency. So this is, this is uh, a basics and fundamental. Where we need hydrogen is where you find locations and contexts where we are really short on renewables and there's no way we can overcome that. Then we can look at the possibility to produce hydrogen for that. Now in the transport sector, as an example, long haul trucks, tractor trailers, 
uh, that need to travel designated routes of 300 to 500 kilometers in the long run may make more sense to use hydrogen rather than electric because of the battery pack can be very heavy and it doesn't make it viable for them to do that. Hence, running on hydrogen will be more cost efficient and cleaner as well. So we have to relate back to the context uh, of what we are talking about from uh, geography, from technology, from distance, and also from the availability of that particular resource, especially how to make hydrogen and its availability as well, before we can uh, answer this question. In, uh, and it shouldn't be answered in a, in a, a uniform and a ambiguous manner, in my view. Just before we talk, we perhaps more specifically about LEAP and your interactions with LEAP. Climate change is, of course, keenly discussed across the world at the moment. I just wonder to what extent your work you feel is contributing towards helping us slow down the process of climate change. There are specifically four areas that uh, we are very active in at this point in time. In fact, over the last uh, decade or so, we have been very active. One is uh, in implementation of renewables. So be it solar projects, we are undertaking one of the largest uh, solar projects in the world. We have also undertook the, the largest uh, wind farm projects in the Southern Hemisphere. We are uh, engaged in a lot of hydro projects, uh, including PHES projects as well, palm hydro projects all over the world and all these including a tidal project uh, one of the largest tidal stream projects uh, in scotland all these are part and parcel of implementing renewables two we are also trying to decarbonize the hard to abate sectors especially high energy intensive sectors like the petrochemical sectors the oil and gas sectors as well as uh, the, the mineral processing sectors by introducing what we call our SJ's seven pillars of decarbonization. So utilizing our toolkits for decarbonization to help these sectors decarbonize and define a clear implementable decarbonization roadmap. So these are all in the essence trying to help everyone achieve their decarbonization goals nationally, corporate levels, as well as trying to take a piece of what we can do to contribute to climate action. So these are what I can share in terms of what we have been doing in terms of a decarbonization and energy transition effort that we are undergoing. So we are very active in trying to promote all this uh, throughout uh, the geographies that we operate in. And indeed, at the, the Leap Future Energy Conference, key topics like those you've just been discussing, decarbonisation, alternative energy solutions are very much being discussed across different panels. You feel that particularly that um, Subana Jurong is one of those key players when it comes to this global movement towards net zero specifically. Yes, indeed. And uh, we are now going places and we have been working on projects in Europe, uh, in the US, in China as well as also in uh, Asia, specifically ASEAN regions and uh, in ANZ regions, promoting and already uh, worked out uh, decarbonization roadmaps for hard to abate sectors like the minerals processing sectors, the power sectors, the processing sectors like petrochemicals, as well as also introducing uh, new ecosystem uh, players in the industries like producing EV automobiles, as well as uh, battery packs and so on, including even solar panel pa uh, manufacturing. All these sectors are now running towards hitting net zero emissions. 
Now, we are not talking about carbon neutrality. We are talking about net zero emissions, which is a higher order to achieve. So we have already roadmaps developed for all these different sectors, uh, either at a national scale, as well as also at a corporate level scale or plant level. So we did this successfully, specifically in locations such as, I can name some of them in the state of Sarawak in Malaysia, which is big on hydrogen and natural gas, in the southern uh, islands of Hainan in China, in Teesside in the UK, as well as uh, even in the uh, southern state of our neighbors in Johor. So these are just a few of those examples of what we have done, and I'll be happy to share some of these, uh, my share of how we do that uh, during the conference at LEAP. Well, that's excellent, and we are so pleased that uh, you're now a part of LEAP. Just talk finally, if you will, about your own personal expectations, uh, your hopes for the LEAP Future Energy Conference. I think one of the uh, expectations I'm, I'm looking forward to is to network with uh, like-minded uh, partners uh, in LEAP and to co-share some of the solutions that we have and hopefully we can use them uh, in the Middle East, in various other regions that we have not touched base on and uh, learning lessons together, sharing our lessons as well, uh, whether good or bad and uh, using this to further help to come up with newer solutions to aid uh, climate actions. I think this is one of the major goals of the company as well as my own personal goals as well. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to uh, share your hopes, your aspirations and your insights in, I think, what is one of the most talked about uh, subjects uh, currently across the world. Many thanks there to We Leong and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to join us very soon for another edition of the Leap In podcast series. Thank you.